0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hoag, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we are continuing with part four of our series on The Last of Us Part 2 leaks. Leaks that have really taken over the story of the release of one of the more anticipated games of 2020. And today we have a rather significant kind of set of events here. I've brought up a video from a YouTuber by the name of Heel versus Babyface, which I referenced in one of the first videos that I did on this topic, who mentioned that he had gotten a takedown notice that he felt was undeserved. And apparently he and his lawyer called Solicitor, I don't know where he's at. He might be in Britain, uh, but he says his Solicitor and he contacted YouTube and said that they found deficiencies in the DMCA takedown notice that had been used to affect the copyright strike against his channel. And lo and behold, YouTube has apparently agreed with him. Now, the crux of his argument, as it turns out, was an argument you would have heard me describe yesterday in virtual legality. And that is this. In yesterday's video, I pointed out that at least one person that had put up the full descriptor of the content strike that they had received on their channel, whose name I got wrong yesterday. I want to correct that. It is just some guy. I believe I called him the other guy or something along those lines yesterday. I always apologize when I do things like that. I want to get that information as correct as possible. But he had put up all of this information about what had got him struck. And I pointed out yesterday that the strike actually was for six minutes and eight seconds of a six minute and nine second video. And that doesn't generally comport with what the DMCA requires you to do if you are issue, issuing a copyright takedown notice. So if you look at the DMCA, which we did yesterday and which we'll do again today, they require someone that's seeking a takedown to identify the their work that's being infringed against as well as what is doing the infringing. So when you go and you make a strike against a YouTube video, the DMCA basically requires, and YouTube has certainly read the DMCA to require, that the person seeking the strike actually identify the places in the video where there is some infringement. And as Mr. Heel versus Babyface rightly points out here, this clip that is the larger screen of his video actually is just his face and he's just talking. And there is nothing that by itself would give rise to some kind of copyright infringement claim you don't see him reading from a stolen script you don't see him giving that kind of dialogue and so while in this particular video which we haven't been able to see or review or do a fair use analysis on after it was struck because it's gone once it's struck in this video he might use screenshots he might use clips there might be failures of a fair use defense and as he rightly points out In this video that he put up within the last hour, he fully expects the company that is the proxy for Sony and Naughty Dog here to strike him again. That what happens here is that his lawyer went to YouTube, said this isn't a sufficient claim because just like we saw uh, in the claim yesterday, they tried to claim the entirety of the length of the video and that's not sufficient for YouTube's purposes or the DMCA's purposes. But YouTube then gives a letter back to the striking a body and says, hey, please correct that language. Please actually take a look at this. And so he fully expects that they will do that. They'll say it's between one minute and eight seconds and one minute and 27 seconds. And then between three minutes and three minutes and 52 seconds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like you are used to seeing if you are a content creator in the YouTube space, where if you get a content ID claim, which primarily originates from YouTube's automated system, where TV show producers or music producers can put their stuff up into a database and then the YouTube robots in the background go and look for that information on videos that you might otherwise create and then just kind of strike it or have all the money from that video go to the actual owner of the song or TV show. That's all generally automated, but you get to see when you put your video up, oh, it's these six seconds that are a problem. Oh, it's this minute long clip over here that somebody's got an issue with. And you can actually see that before you publish the video. You can change it. You can take it down. You can dispute it. But here, where you've got this DMCA takedown notice, this copyright strike, they just said the whole video is a copyright infringement. And at bare minimum, I have to believe that Mr. Heel versus Babyface had some kind of introduction, had a 30-second spiel where he just... Talked about himself, maybe didn't talk about anything of substance at all that couldn't have possibly been infringing. So YouTube looks at this and they actually respond. They say, hey, we're not in the business of enforcing that kind of rule, but we are going to send this letter over to the people that want to see you struck and they're probably going to change things up. And he fully expects that. More problematically, although that's a big, big kind of change and kind of evolution of this topic is that this did happen and I fully suspect that this... Just like in the other cases that we saw was the way that they issued these strikes in general. So I think a lot of these YouTubers can go down this pathway and say, YouTube, I need you to rescind this and at least make these guys do the work to actually put in the time to find what they think was infringing because it's only with that kind of detail that I can even counter it properly. Right? One of the problems that we identified yesterday was that folks couldn't counter the claim properly because they didn't have enough to even go on. What are you trying to claim? Especially if I didn't use a screenshot or a video at all, what are you even objecting to? I need that information to be able to make a statement under penalty of perjury that I'm sure it's not infringing. And if you just say it's the whole video, that's not really fair to me. So YouTube has their content creators backs on this small point, the whole video That's not good enough. Now, where they don't have their creators' backs is on the second half of what I described as manual claim madness. So if we actually go and we try to pull up this video that Mr. Heel versus Babyface is actually referring to, we get this image. Video unavailable. This video contains content from Sony Interactive Entertainment of America, who has blocked it on copyright grounds. Now, you might say, Rick, what are you talking about? You just said he won this fight. Well, he did win the fight so far. He won a fight that changed the copyright strike that was sought against him. He went and he said that copyright strike language isn't sufficient under the law. YouTube agreed. However, he still has what YouTube refers to as claims against his video. This video contains content from SIEA as claimed by them. And what does that mean? It means that, like we just talked about, either an automated system or much more likely here, a manual system went and sought issues with their copyrights. It says, when you enable a piece of content for content ID matching, YouTube automatically generates claims against other users' uploaded content that matches portions of the reference file you provide. But not all content is appropriate for claiming through content ID. You must not use the system to claim content for which you don't have sufficient rights. You are responsible for avoiding incorrect results, such as claims that result from misidentified content or claims that interfere with authorized uses of content. And as I put in the thumbnail, YouTube takes action to address cases of abuse and error in the content ID system. This includes disabling specific reference files or segments of reference files and releasing all associated claims, requiring manual review for certain categories of references, disabling content ID, or even terminating your YouTube partnership. Now, none of that is going to happen to Sony, but I did want to highlight the fact that YouTube at least tries to rattle the saber a little bit and suggest that, hey, they might just come down on someone that is abusing this whole content ID system. Now, as I said, we don't know what was in Mr. Heel versus Babyface's video. So he might have used screenshots. He might have used videos. I am and continue to be more interested in the very clear cases of folks that are just talking about the leaks, including the actual facts of narrative circumstances that occur during those leaks. I've seen that on the internet a little bit that people don't quite understand. I'm not saying that the conversation has to be limited only to the existence of the fact that leaks occurred. I am saying that the underlying facts related to the narrative that was created, in general, absent some other confounding factor that could get you in trouble with the law, should be permitted. That the fair use kind of concept doesn't even have to apply because copyright doesn't apply to the baseline facts of the narrative. Now, you start getting into paraphrasing of dialogue. You start getting into screenshots and clips and things along those lines. Then you find yourself in a space where you would be infringing if fair use didn't apply and you have a harder fight. It's not a fight that I think you are necessarily going to lose. It would depend on the facts and circumstances of what you personally did in your video, what heel versus Babyface did, what some of the various other YouTubers did, and that's going to be different among all of them. But if you didn't use any of that content at all and you didn't just start paraphrasing dialogue that you saw... This shouldn't even be a fight. And that's where things get really interesting because YouTube makes clear that only certain things are even qualifying for content ID. You have to have the exclusive right to these things. You have to be able to give distinct references to what these things actually are. You have to be able to individually refer to each piece of intellectual property. For something like a screenshot that was leaked, you would have had to upload all of that and identify the specific screenshot. We go back to what we looked at yesterday, and we see that all that it said was content used The Last of Us Part 2. That might not be good enough in and of itself for content ID. Now, I know, having seen some of these claims on my own channel, that YouTube generally lets you just get away with saying the overall broad title of what you're talking about. So YouTube's probably not going to have an issue with The Last of Us Part 2 as just the name. But at least in the way that they've written the rules, it suggests that you should actually have to say that it's this specific photo that you're being infringed against. It's not the game. Obviously, discussion doesn't infringe on the game itself. Uh, The videos might. The videos infringe on the video components of that game. But here it says everything that you list should be broken up into individual components, songs, or videos. So The Last of Us Part 2 doesn't really answer that question. And so I would say, hey, even if you're using Content ID, if it's that broad, it may be a problem. But the real problem is this, and it's a little bit unclear. So we have to kind of take it with a grain of salt as we've done in virtual legality throughout this whole process. But it would appear that in order to get any of the discussions claimed and because the copyright strikes kind of come in over the claims, it's a little bit unclear who got claims and who got strikes in addition to claims and who just got strikes, et cetera, et cetera. If you were going to have a content ID claim apply, just to discussions of spoilers, you would basically have to go in and do it manually. There's no reference file that you could possibly conceive of that you could put into a YouTube database and capture someone giving an opinionated discussion of the nature of those spoilers or the politics that they represent or what they mean for the narrative future of video games. You wouldn't be able to do that. So you actually have to go in, and if you're gonna make a copyright claim, you would have to do it manually. And here's what YouTube says about the manual process says, if you get a manual claim, that means a copyright owner identified that their copyrighted content has been used without their permission and used the manual claiming tool to claim your video. A manual claim is different from an automated content ID claim, which is generated when a video uploaded to YouTube is scanned against a database of files that have been submitted to us by content owners. And the system finds a match between the audio or or visual reference files and the video. The manual claiming tool lets select copyright owners who have demonstrated an advanced working knowledge of YouTube's content ID matching system to manually make claims on their content in uploaded videos not otherwise made by the content ID matching system. Copyright owners can't use manual claiming for any other purpose. Now note what all that means together. First, it means if there are manual claims that have come into play as part of this whole controversy, It means that someone actually manually is going and looking for discussion items of these topics and suggesting to YouTube that they would otherwise violate their content ID system if they had reference materials in the database. Copyright owners can't use manual claiming for any other purpose. It is just designed to be content ID under a human thumb. So everything that applies to content ID, the fact that it has to be exclusive, that you have to individually reference, all these other things, including the implicit notion that it shouldn't just apply to discussions of your materials, has to apply to the manual system. And that's why, as they say, all new manual claims will require copyright owners to provide timestamps to indicate exactly where their copyrighted content appears in videos they claim. And we've updated our editing tools to make it easier to automatically release that claim and certainly to allow their content creators to to trim out the things that would otherwise be problematic. But if someone has been going through and doing manual claims, then we have a much more kind of active issue. A copyright strike is bad enough uh, in itself, but you actually have someone trying to comply with the DMCA making these certifications, which we've already shown to be potentially problematic given the context in which they've occurred. But at least you could be talking about fair use. Here with a manual claim about a discussion item, if that is, in fact, what has happened, you get into a situation where people can just strike things because YouTube believes they have an advanced working knowledge of YouTube's content ID. And that's completely separate from the DMCA. Because what happens when you dispute one of these things? After you submit your dispute, the copyright owner has 30 days to respond. Now, if they don't respond within 30 days, their claim on your video will expire and you don't need to do anything, which appears to be what has happened here. But it's also the reason we see that the video is currently unavailable, right? Because even though you might be able to go and say, hey, what are they even talking about? That can't be a copyright strike against my channel. It can still be a claim, either because they uploaded some references that you wound up hitting. And they don't contemplate fair use and it's a screenshot or a clip or something that you think should be fair use. Or they went in and they manually identified mere discussions of their materials in complete violation of anything remotely resembling copyright. YouTube has said, that's going to be okay for right now. We'll figure it out in 30 days. And why does that matter so much in this particular case? Why did a release date for The Last of Us Part Two come out as soon as all these leaks started happening? I think those questions probably answer each other. The Last of Us Part Two is now coming out in the middle of June. And that means that even if you get your copyright strike removed from your channel, and by God, that's a good thing for YouTubers that are especially involved in fair use discussions or only just talking about the existence of these things, But even if you get that removed, the nuclear bomb from your channel, you're still not going to be able to disseminate your ideas and your opinions or whatever else you might have in terms of thoughts on this issue, because the YouTube system by its very nature allows them to kick the can down the road for the entirety of the period between here and there. And you say, Rick, well, it's a little bit more than 30 days. Sure. But if you're familiar with legal processes at all, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to come up with some kind of memo that you put together explaining why your dispute should be likewise disputed because we think there are copyrights here. We'd be more than inclined to have a conversation with the other side, what have you. You make that response on day 29 or day 30. You're just trying to get another week or two. And that means the process is the punishment. That means even though you can get that copyright strike removed, you still can't get that opinion out there. And it means you're still living in the shadow of fear that if you try to put your opinion back out there, that they will just run this entire rigmarole again. And as I've said in my prior videos, I don't know heel versus babyface. I really don't follow a lot of the people that have been struck in these videos and I've Seen people come to me in my DMs and elsewhere and say, I don't like those people. I don't like the opinions that they have. I'm not asking you to like the opinions that they have. I'm not asking you to agree with them in any way whatsoever. What I am saying is that the process should never be the punishment. You shouldn't have a situation where you can use two different mechanisms to get you to the place you wanted to be anyway. And you can kick the can down the road to make sure that people's opinions, their thoughts, are quashed because you want to make sure that you can sell a commercial product at its maximum profitability. Look, I don't know whether The Last of Us Part 2 will be any good. I haven't looked at the leaks. I don't know whether I will enjoy playing it. But I do know that the fact that they lost kind of the security of their data doesn't mean that so many other people shouldn't be allowed to even talk about what they lost. That's been Virtual Legality for today. Hopefully a little bit of a shorter one today. I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this series and this channel. We've been talking about Last of Us now for four separate parts. Before that, we were talking about other things like Universal and AMC trolling each other and trying to figure out exactly what they can do with in-home streaming of videos. We've talked a lot about YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and how they're dealing with the entirety of the viral outbreak in their own terms and conditions. We love talking about business and law in this space. So if you like that, if you know other people that would like it, please like, subscribe, share, watch all the videos that you can, tell people that we're here. And I so very much appreciate all the new subscribers we've gotten this weekend and all the subscribers we've had since the very start of this. I still can't believe so many people are interested in talking about this with me. I love it and I want to continue to do it for now and into the future. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.